but there was a certain reverence that came about when they talked about turkeys. And uh, I can remember seeing my first flock at age seven up in Lycoming County at a, at a property my grandfather had just bought and ultimately came our hunting camp. And, uh, you know, it was just amazing how they were held on a pedestal. I mean, if you killed a turkey, I mean, you were somebody. That's former NWTF CEO Rob Cack talking about how special it was to be a turkey hunter back in the early days of what we consider modern turkey hunting. Uh, on this episode of the Turkey Season Podcast, we are going to dive into where we are now in terms of wild turkey hunters and the populations uh, that, that are in this country right now. My name is Paul Campbell, and welcome to the Turkey Season Podcast, where we will explore the best time of year, turkey season. We will talk with the finest turkey hunters, biologists, authors, historians, and conservationists to try and understand what makes turkey season so special. On the show, we will revel in the echoes of spring past with sharp eyes and keen ears focused on the future. I want all of us to have a better understanding of the wild turkey and its hunting. I want us to learn as much as we can about the hunters that came before us that laid the foundation for our shared modern turkey hunting culture. The story of America's greatest bird, that's right, I said it, America's greatest bird is as wild and treacherous as the places the turkey call home. Turkey season starts now. The Turkey Season Podcast is presented by turkeyseason.com, where culture, knowledge, community, and heritage meet. Visit turkeyseason.com. I want to introduce you to what I like to call the internet before the internet. And, And for those of you that are younger, that's called a book, okay? I've got a book here in front of me that I bought a couple years ago. I walked into a half-price bookstore here in Central Ohio, and the word hunter immediately caught my mind. And I look up in this case, and in this case was this giant, just dark green book, and it said the New Hunters Encyclopedia. And the price tag on it was $15. This store had valued this book, uh, a a book that I put incredible value on. They valued it 15 bucks. And in my mind, immediately I'm buying this book. And so I asked the, I asked the clerk to to take it out for me and I opened it up and, and it is exactly what I thought it was. It is all about hunting. And so, so what, when I say the internet before the internet and in today's day and age, if we, if any of us have a question about hanging drywall or how to gut a snapping turtle or how to hunt turkeys. We go to the Google machine, we fire up our question, we go to YouTube, we go to chat rooms, we go to the internet, whatever it is to, to find and gather information. And we've lost the idea that, uh, and, and this is just in my lifetime, this has changed, that, that we used to read about how to do things from books and magazines. And we used to talk to people. We used to have mentors. And so we've lost some of that connection in the, in the turkey hunting world and just in, in, in the world in general. So I was really excited to get this book. And so the new 
Hunter's Encyclopedia. This is from 1966. All right. So it's 1,131 pages. This thing is massive, massive. And it's got that old book smell that everyone, you know what I'm talking about. And so I open this thing and, and I immediately fall in love. And, and, and so what it is, it's a snapshot of hunting in 19. So all of this information that we're going to go over uh, and we're going to talk about is from 1965. And it's, it's everything. It's shotguns, it's ammunition. It's, it's how to, how to find wild game, how to pattern your shotgun, you know, decoys, everything that you can think of about, about how to become a new hunter and how to learn is in this 1100 pages of knowledge. And the one thing that struck me the most was it had game conditions from 1965. So it had populations, it had harvests, it has everything. It has um, how much a license costs in every state. And I, I want to read you a passage from from this book. And, and this is the Turkey Season podcast, so I can reasonably assume that you're listening to this. You are a turkey hunter, or if you're not, you're probably going to become one. But this is on page 290. This is in the wild turkey section. And I want, I'm going to help you make, we're going to make sense of all of this and, and kind of where we're at as, as turkey hunters. Uh, and, but, but this book really, you know, four or five years ago when I bought this, it really started to change my perspective on conservation, on, on hunting, and on, you know, our impacts as hunters throughout the generation. So I want to read a passage from this book. This is on page 290. The Eastern Turkey was abundant in New England, especially in Massachusetts. The turkey, primarily a bird of the forest, was unable to withstand the advance of civilization. When its hereditary range was destroyed for lumber or agricultural reasons, the bird moved or was exterminated. Unlimited shooting was allowed, and market hunters killed off large numbers of the unsuspecting fowl on their roosts. In the early 1800s, they, they sold for as little as six cents a piece in the New England states. But by 1840, they were rare in that section of the country. The last recorded kill in Massachusetts was in 1850. In the next 75 years, they, the wild turkey, vanished from 18 of the 39 states. For many years, the turkey was almost exclusively a southern game bird. So this, this story of the wild turkey, and I mean, think of this broadly. Think of this not just in, in your lifetime, in my lifetime, but think of it in a big picture. This story that, that, that we've all heard this story of how bad turkey populations were, you know, in, in, in our grandparents' lives. And I'm 40 years old. And so, you know, the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and, and, and how far this turkey has come. So, so over the next couple of episodes, we are going to really explore one in this episode, we're going to dive in we're going to, we're going to get a, an interesting perspective and really drill down to where we are right now in terms of population, in terms of conservation work, 
And I want to I want to start here because it's fresh on our minds, the struggles, the challenges that the wild turkey is facing and, and all of the work that's that's going on right now. But I want to I want to tie this in and I want all of us to have you know a, a better understanding of the history of this bird and really the history of us and how how inextricably linked that turkey hunters are and how we got there and, and just kind of understand why turkey hunting is so special and why it's so important. And I, I, I read this passage. This is in the page before from what I just read you. This is on page 289. I'm just read you a quick sentence. When Francisco Fernandez and later Cortez, think about that Cortez. If you know your history books, you know, that name Cortez, we're going to talk about Cortez in a later episode when Francisco Fernandez and later Cortez came to Mexico in the earliest, listen to this, 16th, 16th century, they found the turkey under domestication by the Aztec Indians. The conquistadors transplanted these fine table birds from New Spain or Mexico to the motherland. Think about it. The 16th century, people had interactions with goblin turkeys in the North American continent. That is, that is an amazing amazing tale. We're going to dive into it, but right now, this episode, we are going to dive into where we are right now as turkey hunters, where we are right now as conservationists, where we are right now with the wild turkey and where that bird uh, really is at. And then we're going to go back. We're really going to go back and, and, and try to connect all of that, weave it all together. The story of us as turkey hunters now, and turkey hunters from the past, and we're, we're going to try to understand it. And so I'm going to introduce you to a really neat cast of characters that will be with us over the next couple of episodes. And quite honestly, will probably be with us uh, at some point in some capacity over the life of this podcast. And I, I want to introduce you to, uh, I, uh, quite frankly, a gentleman that needs no introduction, but a man whose, whose legacy is directly tied to the wild turkey. And that's former NWTF CEO and, and current Bass Pro Conservation Ambassador, Mr. Rob Keck. Rob and I sat down and, and, and we, we dove in. The, the very first thing that we talked about was this book and where we are, how far we've come. And I, and I, want, I want you to listen to what Rob says about how far we've come. Here's Rob. So I've I've got this, I got this book. Do you, do you remember these? <laughs> Vaguely. Okay. Vaguely. So, so this one's from so this the the New Hunters Encyclopedia, and this is like, um, I feel like this is the internet before the internet. How how folks back in the seventies got. I mean, this this has everything for for a new hunter. And the one thing that's really, that's really striking. And where did you find that? So I found this in a bookstore. Really? I paid $15 for it. It was just on a shelf. Uh-huh. And I saw I saw the Hunter's Encyclopedia, and I picked it up and, and, and bought it. I, I bought it before I even opened it. I just wanted to see it. But the one thing that really struck me was in the back section here. This is Game Conditions and Regulations. And it's Game Conditions and Regulations from 1965 for the 66 season. And it has harvest totals uh-huh. for all of the wild game species in 
1965. And, and what so, does the book say about turkey? So here, and, and that's what that's what's interesting. So my home state, there wasn't a season. Our first official season, and you know this, was 1966. Mm-hmm. How many turkeys were harvested? Do you remember? Do you know? Four, I think it was four. Twelve. Twelve. Okay. Twelve counties. I think it was four. Yeah, twelve turkeys over. I believe it was six counties. Limited number. Didn't even make it in the book. And then you look at like like licenses sold. In 1965, you look at, you know, game totals, uh, you know, turkeys harvested, deer harvested. It, you know, in, in, in Ohio, the number one game animal was pheasant and rabbits. Yeah. And see, during the 50s and 60s, when I was growing up, living in southeastern Pennsylvania, pheasants were king. Yeah. I'm talking about wild pheasants. I mean, you, I could ride a school bus uh, eight miles from my home to the school and see, you know, there in the fall of the year. You could see 40, 50 roosters together in a field. I mean, just unbelievable. But that was back during the soil bank era. It was back before we had clean farming practices. It was at a time when there was lots of winter cover, lots of nesting cover. But when the soil bank era ended, clean farming practices began. The fence rows disappeared. And those were really, really important corridors to provide that winter cover and that nesting cover. And uh, just gradually, they disappeared, disappeared from the landscape. And, uh, you know, it just, uh, it bothers me so much to think that we lost such a great resource because, you know, in Pennsylvania, back during that time, clearly over a million hunters that hunted ringneck pheasants. I mean, we had them all across the southern part of the state. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those elements with tremendous habitat changes came the elimination then of a very popular game species. Those are tough words for any turkey hunter to hear now, anytime. The elimination of a very popular game species. With with what we're dealing with, in terms of population decline across this country, those, those words sting because in, in what is essentially a short period of time, a short, a snapshot of history. So 60 or 70 years, you know, through the reintroduction of the wild turkeys in this country, we're right back to where we were in the fifties, in the sixties. We've got population declines. We've got habitat destruction. We've got habitat loss. We've got a changing environment for, for, for these animals to live in. We've got regulatory issues across the country in terms of season dates. And, and, and maybe it's not issues. Maybe it's, it's, it's discussions, uncomfortable discussions that need to be had with timing, with bag limits, with all these things. And, and, and so what is our responsibility for as hunters – for the decline of the turkey. We'll dive into those, but I want to introduce you to, uh, once again, another person in the turkey world that needs no introduction, the wild turkey doc himself, uh, Dr. Michael Chamberlain. Dr. Chamberlain is going to give us a snapshot of where we're at now, biologically speaking, and give us some insight into how we got here. Here's Dr. Chamberlain. What we've seen is, you know, the 80s and 90s populations were being restored across a lot of areas and 
times were good and people were happy and states were liberalizing seasons and things appeared to be doing quite well. And in reality, as populations were being restored, we were already seeing declines in some areas in, in productivity. And what I mean by that is, you know, populations were, were increasing at the same time that they were becoming less productive. Um, and what, what we saw was, and what we've seen across broad areas of the species range is populations kind of reached a, a level probably overshot carrying capacity a little bit, meaning there were more turkeys out there than the landscape could support. Populations started to decline and, and instead of them, those declines kind of stopping at a point where things were still good, they've declined to a point where there's concern. And those declines are primarily driven by declines in, in production. We're just not making as many birds as we were historically. And data across a, a number of all of the southeastern states actually clearly shows that we're just not producing the number of birds that we were. And at the same time, you've seen all of these other changes to the landscape, you know, loss of hardwood forest, loss of habitat in general, uh, degradation of habitat that's existing. So in other words, the habitat's just not in some ways as good, quote unquote, good as it was decades ago. You know, we've seen uh, changes to predator communities, the collapse of the fur market, uh, disease issues that have popped up. Uh, like I talked about at the convention, you know, turkeys are pretty unique. I mean, they, it's the only game bird in North America that, at least in the lower 48, that we hunt during their breeding season. So you, you kind of wrap all of that together and there haven't been a lot of things positive from a turkey's perspective over the last few decades. And and now you, you kind of fast forward to where we are today and, and a lot of a lot of agencies recognize these declines and they're willing to spend the money to do the research to try to address you know what are what are the underlying factors influencing these populations and what can we do about it and that that's kind of what i've seen in the past handful of years is just this dramatic increase in research and like i said at the convention you know, there's more research being done on turkeys now than at any time in my career. And I'm in my, this is the 30th year I've studied wild turkeys. Um, and there's more work going on now than there ever has been in my career. And that, that just speaks volumes to me as to how relevant this bird is uh, and how the kind of the groundswell of concern that you've seen in the turkey hunting and turkey management community has prompted agencies to prioritize the bird. And that's a positive. Those are wise words from Dr. Chamberlain. Whenever I start to panic about turkey populations, I always listen to Dr. Chamberlain and and I'm I'm reminded of of where we are and that there's a tremendous amount of opportunity once again for turkey hunters to answer the call for help of the wild turkey. And 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 there's a statement that Dr. Chamberlain made in that segment that I want you to think about and I want you to to, to put this in the back of your mind, what can we do about it? Talking about the population declines that we've had. And it's, it's interesting how 
linked that hunters are on both ends of of the of the turkey, right? So so both ends on the the population growth and both ends uh and it's not all of our responsibility as hunters, but but both ends on the decline of the turkey. So so obviously, you know, we are out there, we're taking turkeys off the landscape and then our fellow humans were 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 we're helping destroy the habitat. We're also helping to create new habitat do all of these things and and, and as, as hunters we are so linked to the turkey uh, more so than i feel like any other group of hunters or a segment of hunters or outdoorsmen and women in this country i feel like turkey hunters we have such a unique relationship uh with with the bird and with the animal so i i want to i want to go back to to the conversation that i had with rob and and rob talks in this segment about a little bit about the progress that we've made biologically speaking, but also about the progress that we've made over the last 50, 60 years culturally as turkey hunters. You know, back in the 50s and 60s and early 70s, you know, wild turkeys in Pennsylvania were primarily found in the northern tier. And uh, it was something that if you wanted turkey hunt and you lived in the southern part of the state, or Philadelphia or Pittsburgh area, you went to Potter County, you went to Lycoming County, you went north, up almost on that New York border. And, uh, you know, I can remember many times when we sat on the porch with my dad, my granddad, my uncles, and, uh, you know, we admired the ringnecks that they took. And quite often it was a real mixed bag. I mean, it was rabbits, squirrels, grouse. But there was a certain reverence that came about when they talked about turkeys. And uh, I can remember seeing my first flock at age seven up in Lycoming County at a, at a property my grandfather had just bought and ultimately came our a hunting camp. And, uh, you know, it was just amazing how they were held on a pedestal. I mean, if you killed a turkey, I mean, you were somebody. I mean, you had accomplished something that not many people had done. and. Uh, we were talking about fall turkey hunting at that time, and it wasn't until 68 that the very first spring season came about. And so now we've got a new generation, uh, no matter what the age, that had never hunted spring turkeys. So you're talking about a learning curve that came about that, uh, you know, was trial and error. And, you know, you, you look at some of the books that uh, were being written, and I found that in many parts of the country where there were some spring turkey hunters, they didn't want to share that information. It was really secretive. And uh, it was just amazing to me how hungry people were to learn. You could advertise a turkey hunting seminar there in the mid-70s, and a 1,000 people would show up. I mean, I'll never forget up in Buffalo. I did a radio show in WBEN Buffalo, and uh, it was right after I'd won the Pennsylvania State Turkey Calling Contest. And uh, anyway. Uh, first half, we talked about turkeys and turkey restoration in New York and, and the Northeast. Second half was a call-in. And uh, most of the call-ins were pranks. But uh, there was one that was real serious, and he was a barber from Orchard Park, New York, and that was Dick Kirby. And he was just, and he just was learning at that time turkey calling and turkey hunting. And uh, that night, We'd advertised, I was going to be speaking at the Rod and Gun Club uh, right off the edge of the airport in Buffalo. 
Well, the fire marshal was there, and when they hit a thousand people, he was turning them away at the door. That's how hungry people were. You would announce a turkey calling contest, and I mean to tell you, amazing. People would drive, I mean, hundreds of miles to go there to listen. And when the first caller would start, you could hear the tape recorders clicking on. They taped those callers because they wanted to try to replicate those when they went back home. They were trying to learn how to turkey call. And so we have a a generation of turkey hunters that uh, are literally brand new. And, uh, you know, it spawned a lot of things like the books you're talking about, but things like cassette tapes. In 1985, uh, I did the very first videos through 3M Company. I'm talking about high-quality videos. They were all shot on film, not on video, but on high-quality film. In fact, the uh, uh, the the uh, cinematographer that was filming me on doing it, it was a five-part series, the Mastery Series that 3M Company had put out called Understanding the Wild Turkey. He had just come off a Raymond Burr special. He was in Hollywood filming. And uh, it was just Uh, an interesting time because people were so hungry, so hungry for that information to help them become a better turkey hunter. And, uh, you know, that progressed uh, into new camouflage uh, or camouflage period, Uh, turkey guns, turkey ammunition, so many related products and a whole industry sprung up around this great return. It's neat for for turkey hunters today to to be able to look back it you know the work that was done for that great return but also when we look at like culturally speaking about the turkey hunters like the, the story that rob told about the, the calling competition in buffalo new york where you know over a thousand people show up and everyone's turning their recorders on it and, and we we take that that experience and we take that that ability to learn for granted now because if i want to learn how to key key run on a mouth call which i can't do by the way um i just go to youtube and i type it in and i'm gonna see guys like dave owens and and preston Pittman, all these these like just amazing turkey callers scott ellis and all these guys teaching me how to do this when we take that information we take that experience we take it for granted and and i think it's so neat and it's it's a special moment for us as as turkey hunters to be able to look back it guys like Will Primos and Cuz Strickland filming the truth, you know, back in the eighties. And, and, and we see this, we see this industry, we see this, this, this hunting media that we're all partaking in right now. And we see it start to develop and, 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 and come to life. And it's all built around that return of the wild Turkey that was driven by sportsmen was driven by hunters and biologists that love to pursue wild turkeys. And that's such a, it's such a hard concept for non-hunters to understand. And, 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 and you've all had this conversation. You talk about turkey hunting with someone and how, you know, the work that you do and the volunteer and all these efforts and that you do on, on your land or, or in your area. And people ask you like, well, you do all this work to, to shoot the turkey. And, and, and it's, it's, and people ask why you do it and you can't explain it. You have no idea how to explain it, but as turkey hunters, we understand you don't need to say any other, anything else. I understand what you're talking about. And that's the, that's the, the spirit of turkey season that we're going to dive into. 
And in, in this next segment with Rob, Rob talks about the work that went into that great return for the wild turkey. Here's Rob. But it's just it's just astounding when you see here we go, Tennessee resident hunting and fishing license, three dollars. Deer, yeah. bear, boar, and turkey stamp, five bucks. Nineteen sixty-nine, I made my first turkey hunt out of Pennsylvania. Went to Alabama with my good friend Carl Brown, who later came to work for me at the Federation. And then you could buy what they called a trip ticket, a ten day hunting license for ten dollars and ten cents. And uh you know, I, I look back at that time when I began in 1978 at the Federation. There were only 30 states with a turkey season. And uh, Alabama was, you know, considered the cradle. They'd had a season as long as any state in the nation. Mississippi also was right uh, there next to, to Alabama as far as they even hunted them before they had a season. And uh, it was... Uh, a real challenge to try to get good information on, you know, how to hunt these, these things. But another thing that was a challenge was to biologists on how to, how to manage them. Uh, I look at some of the range maps, uh, you know, they said the Eastern Turkey, that range map went from Southern, <clears throat> excuse me, Southern Maine, and then went Southwesterly down through, uh, uh, Arizona and in old Mexico. And they said, well, turkeys will never go beyond just this southern corner of Maine. Well, the turkeys proved every professional wrong, every prediction wrong. Uh, those turkeys have gone the whole way up through the state of Maine and now uh, into New Brunswick. And they've got, their I think, their second season this year. And uh, I look at states like uh, Minnesota. They said that Turkeys there were just going to be down the whitewater, down the southern part of the state. They're up to the Canadian border and have crossed the border. And it's been just a remarkable uh, situation where the turkeys have proved every prediction wrong. And I guess the word adaptability has been a real key. They've adapted to so many different types of habitat, different types of climate. And, uh, I just am in amazement when I hear people talk about, well, did you hear there's turkeys up in Sudbury, Ontario with 250 inches of snow annually? Or a friend of mine, an outfitter in British Columbia, said, Rob, man, we got turkeys all over the place up here. And uh, I remember trying to work with the uh, British Columbia government to, to, get tur to release turkeys there. They didn't want them, said they were non-native. So we released them there and along the border in the state of Washington. <laughs> the turkeys just took over from there. The turkeys just took over from there. If that doesn't put a smile on your face as a turkey hunter, I don't know what will. We have such a, such an, a, a challenging time in front of us right now as turkey hunters in a lot of, a lot of this, the country. And when, when we discuss population declines online or in person, people are, people are understandably angry. And they're angry at themselves. They're angry at conservation organizations. They're angry at agencies, state agencies, federal agencies. They're, they're, they're angry at poachers. They're angry at, at people that, that hunt a different way than them. They're angry at, 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 at people that 
that you know are new to the sport of turkey hunting and i don't i don't see anger is necessarily a bad thing is some anger misguided absolutely is it misplaced is it is it put it in, into you know unnecessary areas of of your life yes absolutely without a doubt but but people are angry because they're passionate and and, and people are angry because they care deeply about the wild turkey and they care deeply about the, the, the ability to hunt turkeys for generations going forward. And that's such a unique thing that we should all be proud of. And if, if people weren't angry, that means that they don't care. So over the next couple of episodes, we're going to really dive into the idea of what we are as turkey hunters and how we've gotten there. But we're going to really take a deep dive back centuries hundreds of years we are going to talk to one of the foremost wild turkey historians uh that's out there right now we we've got just an unbelievable series lined up for you uh with with this turkey season podcast so i i want to reference that book one more time and and we'll talk about it uh, again but i i want to i want to show you something i want to read something to you so this is from the New Hunters Encyclopedia. And, and this if this doesn't show you how far that we've we've come, just culturally speaking, I don't know what will. A very old and standard way to hunt the wild turkey is to roost one, and then to stalk him in the dusk. This method has been condemned by some hunters as unsportsmanlike. Yet the difficulties are such that it takes a real woodsman to bag his bird in this way. Turkeys fly to roost about sundown or a little later. If they roost in pines or other evergreens or in moss-shrouded trees, they are exceedingly difficult to see. More than one hunter has shot at a bunch of mistletoe or at a squirrel's nest in mistake for a turkey. After turkeys are up for the night, they move a good deal on limbs, crane their necks, and now and then fly from one limb to a more comfortable one. If the object supposed to be a turkey does not move, yet is clearly visible against the fading sky, identity can nearly always be established by observing its tail, which will be hanging down, shaped about like a shingle. The hunter, having located his bird, must make certain of the tree it is on, and he must keep his eye on the turkey. He must let the light fade so that the woods beneath the trees are in deep shadow. But if he lets the light fade too much, he cannot get his sight on the bird. A wary stalk through the semi-darkness made preferably with the tree between him and the bird should bring him within range. Anyone acquainted with the difficulties of these maneuvers will hardly condemn this method of shooting a wild turkey. However, it is outlawed in some states. Imagine going back to turkey camp with a gobbler over your shoulder and telling your friends that you did this. I, I can say that this is outlawed in all 49 states that have turkeys. I, I only read this to you to highlight how far that we've come, culturally speaking, not even just talking about laws, but just, just how we've evolved as turkey hunters over the years. And I think that this is, this is just a, a snapshot of how things have changed. I want to tell you just a real quick story. Uh, not really a story, but just 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 think of this. 
there are there are accounts. We're going to talk to someone about this. There are accounts of pirates. Pirates. Think of this: Blackbeard, Jack Sparrow, if he was alive, of pirates. Accounts, written accounts, of pirates seeing wild turkeys in in, in this continent. That's pretty wild. So so buckle up. I've got a great show for you coming up. Just a bit on on how the kind of the segment of of this turkey season podcast and, and how the episodes are going to be released. So, so the, and they're going to get better. They're going to get more in depth. We'll have the kind of the documentary style podcast that we just went through. Or we'll have multiple guests. And we'll try to tell a story and try to understand complex topics, understand history, understand things that, 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 that we all love so dearly. And then in between those episodes, we're going to have something kind of fun we're going to have some really good turkey. I got some really good turkey hunters lined up. And we're just going to talk about life. We're going to talk about turkey hunting. It's going to be pretty, pretty relaxed, pretty chill. We're going to call it the Dust Bowl, the social gathering place for wild turkey hunters. Uh, I'm really looking forward to those conversations. I think you guys will too. Um, so, so check out this podcast. Hit subscribe. Leave a review. It can only go up from here. I promise you that. Uh, so so I look forward to the next episode. Uh, the the we're going to talk about the history of the wild turkey. And I promise you, I promise you, you're going to learn something that you did not know about wild turkeys. So visit turkeyseason.com for more information uh, and, and schedule uh, for the podcast. Thank you so much for listening to this very first episode of the Turkey Season podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at the turkey season. Visit the website turkeyseason.com.